And so we give him glory for that and doing things that we couldn't do, that we can, you know, we can come up with plans and Bible studies and programs and ministries, but only God can transform lives. And we've been watching God do, do that work. And yeah, we give him the Lord glory and praise for all of that. I had a friend ask me that we were at dinner on Friday night, and they said, 10 years coming up seemed like a big time, like a long time for you. And I paused and they said, oh, it must have been a long 10 years. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 it's not that. It actually doesn't seem like it's been that long. I feel like I can remember right when we started the church, but you start reflecting on all the things that have happened and all the events and all the hours of service. And you saw lots of highlights there from Southbridge Serves and different weekends that we've had together. Y'all have literally given thousands of hours of service to this community. And that's not even counting what happens here within these walls. You know, you see the, the setup that happens. You got these pictures up today. That was extra work for somebody. And you got the trailers that pull up and transform this school into, you know, all the things that, that end up happening here. And, you know, you heard Dale say every time somebody's baptized or saved, he's part of that because he laid a cable, rolled, set up bridge kids, whatever the deal is. And I'm thankful for all the hours of service. And so whether you're on the tech team or the, the worship team or bridge kids or SYU or whatever it is, they serve thousands of hours of service within this body of church. All the people that have been baptized, all the people that have been saved, marriages that have been reconciled, people that we've lost tragically, people that have lost slowly and painfully, and then new people that have come. And thinking about my own kids, like several of them didn't even exist when we started this church. And uh, God's done a work in their lives, and many of you, some of you along the path, like along that 10-year process, we've crossed paths. Whether it's some of you have been here for 10 minutes, welcome, we're glad you're here. Uh, some of you, it's been, you know, 10 years, and 8 years, and 6 years, and and you remember some of those moments. We've shared a lot of moments together. And so it has been long in that sense. And that there's been a lot packed into that time. Today we want to celebrate. And what I was doing is I was thinking about sharing with you what we would celebrate this morning. Is reflecting back to uh, before we actually launched the church. I had a guy in my small group who's been here since the beginning. He moved here uh, from Texas actually to be a part of this church. And, and he said, you know, we're older than 10 years old. My wife and I actually moved here in May of 2006. And then the Tovies who came and planted with us, they were our shepherding pastor for about nine years. And he came in after that. And then some other folks were moving from out of town to be here. And we just meet as many people as we could and tell them the vision, the dream that we had for this church, that we'd be a church. And here was the simple vision actually. Uh, we want to be a church like what we read about in this book. And so when you read the book of Acts and you see these people and what it was like, but like before the church got distracted by politics and before we became like soft because of the American dream and watered down by materialism and before we got distracted by things like divisiveness, like, hey, your church preaches from the 1984 NIV and we use the 1995 NIV, you know, stupid stuff that churches argue over, that we'd get focused in on what really mattered. That we'd be a group of folks that wanted to see lives changed above everything else, but that we'd be guided by the Holy Spirit. And you look at the book of Acts and read what they were like. And people that were willing to live in authentic relationships, or you take off the mask, not just highs and goodbyes of church and, hey, good job, brother, and you're nice, everything's great, everything's not great, your life's falling apart, you won't tell anybody. And we wanted to be a place where it was okay to not be okay. But that we wouldn't just leave you there that we are rooted in the scriptures, that we are grounded in the word. They were surrounded around the apostles of teaching is what you see in the book of Acts. And so that we'd have answers to give to folks that were hurting and people that were hopeless and people that were struggling. And we've literally seen lives transformed. We've seen lives saved. We've seen people that were going to abort babies like we celebrate God's grace when people did have abortions and give them grace and forgiveness after that. We've seen people not abort children that we're going to. We've seen people that were going to take their own lives. They haven't taken their life. God's done this work because people were okay with not being okay, then we'll be able to speak truth into it. We care for one another at a depth you don't just do for somebody else, where you sacrifice for the sake of another person, and you give what you have so that they can have what they need. 
we've shared with one another and done life together. And as we've done that, God has done this amazing thing that we couldn't plan and couldn't program, and he's changed lives. And so I remember back when we started the church, 10 years ago, a few miles from here, uh, we had started, you know, at the country club, like you saw in the video, and gathered together as a small group. And I told that small group, don't invite anybody. We're not ready. Like, we did not have Bridge Kids Ministry. We had a tailgate tent set up in the other room. It was like, try to keep them in this area. Like, you're playing defense. Just stop them. Like, it was kind of the investing in their lives is not even a thought on our minds right now. Keep them in this room. <laughs> Make sure they're there when their parents come back. And uh, we talk about the setup team and what the setup team, like all the stuff they did today. And they did an awesome job today. Let's give the setup team a hand today. When, when we started, when we started the church, there was no setup team. There were people that brought stuff and they brought it from their house. I was telling the first service, my wife and I were just talking about the pack and play we used for church was our daughter's pack and play because we'd take it apart and put it in the back of this. It was pre-minivan days for us. It was put in the back of the trailblazer, tailgate tents, take a rug from the front door of our house put it in the car, drive, use it as a, a noise blocker at the church, and then bring it back. And the Tovies would do that, and some other families that were part of the church, they would just put whatever, to clean off their toys with bleach wipes, and then bring them in there, and y'all's kids can play with them, and then we take them back home, and we get them all snotty all week, and then clean them up again. And... <laughs> but now we've got this team, like, think about where we, like, what's happened, like, where we're at. And I remember back to, we, we did that core group, and they kept inviting people, even though I told them not to. We've never had a thing where guests didn't show up. So you're a guest today, it's very appropriate that you're here on our 10-year anniversary. There's always been new people. And these new people started coming. And by December of that year, we started in September. And by December, we had 100 people that were showing up. We're like, all right, well, we better launch this thing. So we moved over to the movie theater in January. We started doing practice services. Then on March 4th, 2007, I remember standing before a group of folks and just talking about what was, I believe, the single most important thing I could share that day. And we had 179 adults that day. And we counted everybody. Like, if you were pregnant, you counted as two. Right? If we thought you might be having twins, we may have counted three. And we counted with the kids and everybody, there were 220 people. About 50 of them were well-wishers, like pastors from other towns, people that were praying for us, folks that were going to be planting churches in this city that were coming to see how it went and all that kind of stuff. And we know because the next week they weren't there. <laughs> but I remember standing before that group and saying, hey, here's the, as we plant this church, we don't know what God's going to do. But let me tell you how I got to this point, because I would have never imagined I'd be teaching the Bible or pastoring a church or doing that kind of stuff, but God radically transformed my life. And so we want to be rooted in life change. And I told him the story about how back in 1959, a guy named Lazarus Thomas was in a shop in General Motors factory in Michigan, and there was a gospel booklet. It told the good news and bad news about Jesus. And it was in this little toilet paper roll, and he pulled it out, and it said, the bad news is this, that you're sinful, and then because of your sin, you're separated from God. There's nothing you can do to fix that problem. That's terrible news. But the good news is that God sent his sinless son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life and then go to the cross and die in your place for you. And this guy, Lazarus, he read this gospel track. He trusted Christ as a savior, totally transformed his life. His 11-year-old son started going to church with him and said, I don't know if I believe what that preacher says at the church, but I know I have a new dad. See, life change was key. He said, I like the new dad better than the old dad. And he trusted Christ as his savior. 36 years later, he started a Bible study at my public high school. 1995, this punk kid comes in, Scott Lear, comes into this Bible study. I'm looking for answers in life. I think life is meaningless. It's vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And they, I get challenged to hand out these little gospel tracts, the same booklets. And I'm not even a Christian. I start handing these booklets out, giving them to my teammates on sports. I was working at a men's clothing store. I'm giving them to people there. And then one day, I got down next to my, on my knees next to my bed, and I was reading through that booklet. And it says, Jesus, the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. 
And in that moment, it was like God said, Scott, are you going to waste your life trying to find other answers, trying to find other ways? I'm giving you the way. And I trusted Christ, and I had no idea what God had in store for me. And I started sharing with the church about answered prayers that I had seen, classes I had learned a lot of stuff. I'd taken, gotten degrees, had taken ecclesiology, eschatology, you know, churchology, whatever ologies were out there, I had probably taken a class in it. I said, but ironically, the most significant thing I can share with you, they're probably singing in children's church right now. So my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Amen. Amen. You believe that? If you believe that, let me ask you this question. It's a question I asked 10 years ago. If you could ask God to do one thing today, what would you ask him? And if you have a way to write it down, whether it's on your phone, your tablet, on the bulletin that you received on the way in, I challenge you to write the answer to that down today. If you could ask God to do one thing, what would you ask him to do in your own life, transforming your life? Maybe it's dealing with sin. Maybe it's time for you to stop cruising through and you're going to get serious about this relationship. You hear the stories of people having this real relationship with Christ. I remember when we first came to this city and people started coming to our church and it was like, we've never heard of something like this. I'm like, we're just teaching the Bible. Like, we're not making this up, but it's real and it happens today. And maybe that's not for you yet, but maybe today. Maybe you'd ask him to do that. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's a reconciliation with somebody else's issue. I don't know what it is. What would you ask them to do if you could ask them to do one thing? Maybe it's saving someone else. And then I want to add to the question that I asked 10 years ago, and I asked, what would you ask God to do in this church? If this is your church, what would you ask them to do in your church? If you're visiting today, what would you want to see them do in, this, in Raleigh? You're a small part of this, even if it's just today. What would you like to see them do in this church? And we're going to look at the passage of Scripture that we looked at 10 years ago, but I want to back up a few verses. What we looked at a few years ago was verses 20 and 21. It's the doxology of a prayer. It says, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, according to his powers that worked within us, to him be the glory in the church, this church, and in all the churches, and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. But before we get to that part of the prayer, let's back up. What was Paul praying just before that? And my hope for you today is this. Whatever you write down in your piece of paper right now, for this church, for yourself, that it'll be shaped by this prayer that we're about to see from Paul. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 14 today. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, it's a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. And he, he was part of planting this church. You can read about it in Acts chapter 19 and 20, about seven or eight years earlier. And so he's looking back at this church, and here's what he's praying for them now. And this is what my prayer is for you guys today, for us as a church today. One of the things I love about Ephesians is the outline of the book is so simple. The first three chapters are all about God. It's all about what God has done. There's not a single command in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. The last three chapters, it's only six chapters long. Chapters four, five, and six, there's about 35 commands. In light of what God has done, here's what we should do. First, God has to transform us internally, which that was new information for people when we first came to, to, to the Raleigh-Durham area. A lot of people were used to behavior modification. The church was all about acting right, looking right, doing the right things. They didn't realize that God wanted to transform us from our inner being, and then he would change the outside. And Ephesians lays that out so beautifully. But where we're at in the passage is about the transition point of the book. It's the end of chapter 3, and Paul falls to his knees and he, and he prays. Look at it in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to, and that's a key word for those of you writing your Bibles, you might underline that, according to, not out of, according to the riches of his glory. They're unlimited, by the way. 
So to think about being blessed by someone, you know, be blessed out of their riches based on how much they have or according to the riches. God's not losing anything because his riches are unlimited. That according to his riches that he may grant you to be strengthened with power, and that's the power of his Holy Spirit. In fact, throughout the scriptures, you see power and Holy Spirit are oftentimes used synonymously almost. And what he's talking about, and you go back to the first prayer that he prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, it's the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. According to his riches, strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How does he do that? Through faith. Why? That you, being rooted and grounded in love, present participles of an action, a perfect participle that happened at one time in the past with continuous results. And so this has already happened in their lives based on the first couple chapters of Ephesians. But here's what he wants them to experience now. You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. Do you know that love? That surpasses knowledge. You can't even know it. They may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you, a finite being, will be filled with the infinite God. That's not possible. Paul knows you might think that. So look at verse 20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to his power at work within us. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen? You look at this prayer and you see Paul's passionately praying here. This is not just like, hey, it's the time in the book where I should start praying. Like some of us, maybe if you pray regularly when you go to study the scriptures, it's like, all right, now I should pray. What do I pray? The same thing I prayed yesterday. Kind of go through the motions. Paul's not going through any motions here. And we know that because he falls on his knees. Now for some of you, praying on your knees might be your normal posture of prayer. For a Jewish man in this time, normal posture of prayer would be to stand and to look to heaven. Now it's not wrong to fall on your knees. It's not wrong to fall prostrate on your face before God. But when you see that in scripture, it's an, extra, it's an extravagant prayer. It's a passionate prayer. And so you see Solomon do it when he's dedicating the temple, a significant moment in the life of Israel. So he falls on his knees. Next week, we're going to go back into the series we've been doing through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to go verse by verse to the cross, and we're going to see this man on a mission, and where we start off, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is on his face. prays so intensely, he sweats drops of blood. Paul's praying here with incredible passion. Why is he praying? Well, you go back and where our first point's going to come from is the first three words in verse 14. This phrase, for this reason. For what reason, Paul? What's the reason you're talking about? So you've got to start looking at context. And you go backwards and you go all the way back to chapter 3 and verse 1. And so if you, you, you brought a copy of the scripture, you can go back to chapter 3 and verse 1. You see the same phrase, for this reason. What happened was Paul started to pray in chapter 3 and verse 1. And then in verses 1 through 13, it's like he got distracted. <laughs> you ever do that? You ever go to pray and you're like, oh, you had good intentions. You're like, got down and you're just going to start praying. Next thing you're thinking about what you're going to eat for breakfast. Or what's going to happen? Who's going to win the game? And it's like, no, Lord, I had good intentions. Like we got, it's like some of us when we go to pray, if I can just be honest, it's like a kid playing soccer. Do you ever see like five-year-olds play soccer? It's like there's a ball bounces by and they're like, oh, there's butterflies. And they kind of go, they're picking the grass, braiding each other's hair, whatever they're doing out there. Well, Paul, he gets distracted, but he's distracted by more noble things than some of us sometimes. He says, for this reason, in chapter 3, verse 1, and then he goes 13 verses about the mystery of the gospel. 
But he's not praying at this point. He's just talking about how is it even possible that Jews and Gentiles could be brought into the same family? They could, be, they could experience life change from their core, not just clean up your act and start coming to church and, hey, we want you to get circumcised. Would you obey the law now? But they'd be transformed by a radical relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he goes back into it. He's, for this reason, I fall on my knees. It's a passionate prayer. And so for this reason, takes us back to chapter 3 and verse 1, which then takes us back to everything that was said in the first two chapters of the book of Ephesians. And so wrapped up in that phrase, for this reason, is all the theology, all the things that God has done. Remember, there aren't any commands. It's not about us at all. It's for, by grace you're saved through faith. One of the famous verses in the first couple of chapters, not of works, not of your own works. It's that God gets the glory. It's all about God. Chapters 1, 2, 3, for this reason, because of God's past work, that Paul falls on his knees. He's celebrating what God has done in the past. And for us today, we've got to celebrate what God's done in the past and then ask him to do more of the same in the future. And so we're going to talk about some things we're going to ask him to do that go beyond what he's done in the past today. But before we do that, it would be foolish for me just to focus on the past. It'd be foolish to not focus on the past today. Because we've got a great past. But then also to look at what is it, based on what he's done in the future, that's like a catalyst. That's like a, a foundation for us. What are we going to ask him to do in the days ahead, moving forward? And so then Paul, that's what he does here. For this reason, I celebrate. He's celebrating this church that he was part of starting seven, eight years earlier. And he looks at all the life changes that's happened in the past. Here's the unfortunate thing today. We don't have enough time to take every verse from chapter 1 and chapter 2 and then filter it through and see all that God's done here at this church. We don't have time to talk about all the things that have happened, all the events. You saw that video that was some highlights of things that have happened. But we can pick a couple. And so if you go back to chapter 2, there's one verse in here that summarizes a lot of the life change that's happened in our church. One of the things that God has done is he's, he's saved people. People that were headed towards a Christless eternity, headed towards hell, that were without hope and without God, and he's reconciled them to himself. And so in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says the people that are without hope and without God, and Paul says, remember that you, and I imagine Paul, since he knew these people, and we read about that in Acts chapter 19, he's not just talking about the city of Ephesus as a whole. He remembers people, individual people. And so as I read this verse, think about your own salvation. Think about some other people that you've seen come to Christ over the years that we've been together as a church. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel from being part of this community, and strangers of the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were without hope and you were without God, but God reconciled you for this reason, because of what God's done in the past. I'm going to ask them to do more of that in the future. Now think about it in our church, all the people that God has saved. I could literally just tell stories for the rest of the day of people coming to Christ. We've had people trust Christ since the very beginning. Before we even launched the church, I remember we did our first outreach. We had 12 people say that they made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. It was a sign, I think, of what, the, what was going to come. And we're regularly seeing people come to Christ. I, I got an email this past week from a gal who's up in Pennsylvania now. Ten years ago, a little bit after our launch, around, I think it was May time frame, after, in 2007, she started coming to our church. She had met a, a young lady who had started coming to our church at the very beginning, Kelly Butler. And her husband played baseball for the Durham Bulls. And she met this gal, her name's Nikki Johnson, whose husband also played baseball for the Durham Bulls. And her plan was, Nikki's plan was, I don't want to make any friends. We're going to be transitioning. This is temporary. We don't be here very long. But then Kelly invited her to come to church. She came to church. And she heard about a God that was different than the God that she had heard about previously. Because she always thought that you just believe in God. He's kind of out there and you obey the rules and be a good person. And, and she heard us talk about a God that's personal. 
that wants a relationship with us. That when you trust him, he'll flip your world upside down. And she wondered about that guy, and she started investigating. Eventually, she sat down at a Star. It was either Starbucks or Caribou uh, here in town with Kelly and with my wife, and prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Savior. It's 10 years ago. And then she talked about her journey. And there's been moments of growth and moments where it hasn't been so much. And there's always been an excuse for not getting baptized. Today in her church in Pennsylvania, she's getting baptized today. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord for that. How awesome. On our 10-year anniversary, she's there. There's story after story. You saw Dale on the video talking about wanting to serve in this church. A lot of you don't know Dale's story of coming to Christ, though. Dale's story of coming to Christ 10 years ago. He was sitting in a Panera Bread in Briar Creek. And he would go there to read the newspaper because he had a reading disability. And he was reading the newspaper just to try and overcome some of the struggles that he'd had since he was a kid. And there was a story in the paper about our church. And he decided he was going to church in a movie theater. Like, that's weird. So he said, come over and check it out. And then he heard about, he heard, he spent his whole life running from God. And he can tell you the details of some of the sin that we, he was trapped in and all that stuff. He was running from God. And he heard a message about repentance. And he's, he realized that repentance wasn't saying, I'm sorry, God. That repentance was actually, you're heading in a direction. You stop and you turn. And you turn towards God and then let God do the work. And he heard, he heard the message that God will flip your life upside down. It will train, revolutionize your life. So he said, so I, I prayed to receive Christ. And then God did. You know what else he did? He miraculously healed Dale's reading disability. He devours the word today. But you know, before he trusted Christ, without hope, without God, now reconcile. For this reason, I glorify God. Because he does that work. And he does it. There's story after story after story. Look out and see my friend T. Furlow. Just baptized his son on the stage a few weeks ago. His son went to class with his dad, starting point, our starting line over in our Bridge Kids ministry, Pastor Brad led, and then, then T got to lead his son to Jesus. And so you got Nikki, you got a female, you got Dale, you got a guy who's an older guy, and he's not old, but in comparison to a 10 year old, he's older, right, Dale? All right, we're good. Hey, before the, serve, before the first service, Dale said this would be something I've never had anybody say to me. He looked at a picture on the wall that they had out there on the wall, and he goes, You look younger now than you did then. I was like, I love you, man. Don't tell me he's lying to me, okay? I want to keep it for a little bit. But Dale, he's an adult, trust Christ. You got people from different backgrounds, different stories. And God's taking people from without hope, without God, reconciling them in a relationship with himself for that we celebrate that God's been doing that for 10 years in our church. And we got Easter coming up in a few weeks. By the way, we're going to change the service times for Easter. The point is not to confuse you. It might seem like, that. what are they thinking? That's not the point. We're going to do an 8 o'clock service. We're going to do a 9.30 service. We're going to do an 11 o'clock service. Here's the reason. Because more people always come to our church at Easter time. We want to make room for more people to hear the gospel. Bring your friends. We'd love to have you come. I was talking to a guy on our tech team last week. In fact, I was talking to him last night, just asking if it was okay to share this story. And uh, he was telling me his first service was last year at Easter time. And he's gone back and watched the video that played before the message. We call it a bumper video that just plays in the transition between the worship team and the message. And he said he's watched that video at least 10 times. The video itself had an impact on his life. And he heard about a relationship with Jesus. And God used somebody in this church, I don't even know if the person realizes. It was a small act of kindness, a sacrifice that you made in his life. And he said, it helped me understand the sacrifice that Jesus made when he gave his life on the cross for my sins. And he repented of his sin and he turned to Jesus Christ as a savior. And God's doing a work in him now. And he's excited about this next Easter because he doesn't know who's the next person that's going to be just like him. He's serving on our tech team today. Another guy from our tech team, think about Easter. Another guy that I was having lunch with a few months ago, he told me, he said, I never filled out the connection card. I'm like, come on, man, you're not really a Christian. Just kidding. But I had asked him, I said, when did you trust Jesus as your Savior? He's like, oh, two years ago, Easter service at Southbridge. So we've got a foundation of this happening. So I just wonder, 
I don't know who else out there today. How many of you have trusted Christ as your Savior since attending this church? Would you raise your hand? And maybe if you've had your kids come to Christ too, at Bridge Kids or something, you raise your hand. And look around. If you're in the front rows, look around. That is reason to celebrate. Amen? Give the Lord a hand. For this reason, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. A passionate prayer because I'm celebrating what God's done in the past. Let's ask him to do more of that. Let's ask him to save some more people. Amen? But it's not just that. That's one verse out of two chapters. When you go back and you see the, a couple verses later, one of my favorite verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. Some of you know what it's like to struggle with anxiety. God, Jesus is the one who gives us peace, who has made us both one. But here's what he's talking about in this verse. Reconciliation. He's talking about Jew and Gentile being reconciled. He's broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If you study this, you'll find like pages and pages. What is the dividing wall? Is it this curtain in the temple? Is it this wall that was in the temple because Gentiles couldn't only go this far? Here's what we know for sure that it is. It's enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Jesus destroyed it. And what he's teaching here is this. When you've got reconciliation with God vertically, you should be able to reconcile with people horizontally. And we've seen that life change too, haven't we? Where people are reconciling with each other. That whatever it is in your power to do to live at peace with someone else, you'll do those things. We've seen it in marriages. We've seen it between parents and kids. We've seen it between kids and parents, coworkers, siblings, family members, reconciling issues. Think about it. Some of you are going to think I'm talking about your story. I'm not. There's a theme of stories of people who've had affairs in our church, and they got away with it. And no one knows, and no one will know. But God does a work in their hearts, and they confess that to their spouse. And I'm not talking about your story. There's more than a few here. And then it's not quick, and it's not painless. But then there's one of the verses that we see in chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's supernatural. To forgive other, to be wronged, and to forgive the way that God forgives, that's supernatural. And we've seen that in marriages, in friendships, with siblings, with parents. We've seen it with people that have been hurt by the church that are then reconciled to the church. You saw Todd's story right on there, what he's referring to. He was hurt. And multiple times we've had pastors come to our church, and some of you don't even know this. They'll just kind of hang out, and they'll be quiet and discreet, and there'll be different reasons why they're here, but oftentimes burned out or hurt. And I'll tell you, I'll tell them, just so you know, and so you know kind of the way that I'll, I'll share this. I'll say, hey, you'll hear me say from the stage things like, everybody needs to be in a community group. Everybody needs to serve. I'm not talking to you. I'm not everybody. Like, no, no, just listen. Some people need time to heal. And so we let them heal. And then God restores them and reconciles them to his bride, the church. Because it's not, it's not possible to be a Christian and not be connected with a local church and be obedient. Because he wants this lived out amongst one another. His prayer, as you read it through this prayer, get further, we're only on the first phrase right now, is for all the saints. How do you know the love of Christ? With each other. Living it out and having problems. And we're a bunch of sinful people that are put together. So if we get close enough, there's going to be problems. And then we forgive. And we start to learn the love of Christ. For this reason, this reconciliation, not just vertically, but also uh, with one another, horizontally. So reconciled people, they reconcile with people. 
People that are without hope, without God, become reconciled to God. We get given a new identity. You can go to chapter 1, and there's verses 3 through 14, and the Greek is all one long sentence. It's broken into two sentences in, in the English translations, most of them. And I'm just going to pick one verse out of it. So you know I'm pulling out it. There's a whole bunch here that you could get. But he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He's given us a new identity. We're called by his name. We're sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're given access to every spiritual blessing. There's no limit to his spiritual blessings. You're given the Holy Spirit. Think about it. God is living inside of you as a deposit to guarantee your inheritance. What an amazing inheritance it'll be. We as a church all have the same identity. We all have one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one mission that we live on, that we lock arms and go forward with. That is our identity. Who are you? Who are we as a church after 10 years? Well, we're renewed in Christ. We're reconciled to him. We're sons and daughters of the king. All those things are true, but he's given us a unique identity too because of the makeup of who he brings to this place. And so as I was reflecting, I was thinking cultural differences and thinking about some of the the weddings that I've been a part of over the years. Military weddings, young people getting married, older people getting married remarriages. I recently did a marriage for a couple. They both came from different parts of Africa and so had different garbs. I just don't want to mess that thing up. All kinds of different backgrounds. And then you think about the different church backgrounds. You know, just, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here on something. We're Southern Baptist Church. No one left. It's amazing. Because a lot of people come and it's like, an Episcopal gal marries a you know, Methodist dude and a Baptist person because somehow related to some Lutheran. And they're like, wait, you guys are unbranded. We'll just come to your place. And we've got all these different backgrounds that come together here. And all these different places. And we've got people, too, at different places in their spiritual journey. I'm watching that video. I saw a guy, Pete Manuel. Remember when he first trusted Jesus as a Savior, saw him getting baptized in there. He said he hadn't been to church since 1960. And he was with his parents at a funeral. And when he'd come in, he'd just hang out by the door. So you've got people that have come, they've never cracked the Bible on their own. You've got people that have come, they've been studying the Bible for like 50 years. And we've got all this diversity. I was talking to a, a friend uh, a few, few weeks ago, and we were talking about this church, and he'd been attending for some time, and I wasn't sure if this was his church. And he was telling me how he knew this was his church, and he was talking about the fall festival that we had together. I don't know if some of you were here for that. We did blow-ups and barbecue and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, he was talking to a guy, this guy had been a Christian for a little while, but he was talking to a guy who was a newer Christian, and he said, as he was telling me his story of salvation, his testimony, oftentimes Christians call it, as he was telling me his testimony, he swore a couple times. And it's not like, yeah, we love swear words at this church. But he said, help me know this isn't just a church for churchy people. And you think about our unique identity, and it's all these different backgrounds and all these different people come together. And we don't want to play church. It's, we want Acts 2. And so that gets messy. And God's doing a work in all of our lives. And some of us are at a different place than other people are at. That's okay. And we sharpen one another. And we can all challenge each other. Who are we? We're renewed in Christ. We've got a new identity. We've got an inheritance coming. We've got the Holy Spirit. And so then all of us can ask the Holy Spirit, where are you leading us? What are you going to do? Praise you for the things you've done in the past. We want you to do more of that in the future. And we could pick a bunch more stuff. I don't have time to go through all these verses. We could just pick Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. That God's got a plan for your life from the begin Before you ever existed, he had a plan for your life. So walk in that plan. And we've seen people walk in that plan throughout the history of our church. I think we just think about the missionaries that we saw in there. Remember Matt Hedspeth when he was here. Matt and I used to argue about which songs he would play because his preference and my preference are not the same preference. I remember getting in a fight with him about I'll Fly Away. <laughs> Those of you who are in here at the beginning of the service, Matt wanted to play it in case you're amen and Steve because you like it. I don't like it. 
don't throw tomatoes, okay? Not my favorite song. Well, we're not worshiping me. We're worshiping the Lord. So it doesn't matter what I like. But I remember, if you looked at the trajectory of Matt's life, it looked like, well, he's going to become a worship pastor. Like, he's leading us in worship. and he's going to. But then God calls him to step out by faith and do something different, and he starts an orphanage in Panama. Or Grant Waller. Some of you knew him when he was a seminary student here. Now he's out there. I think in that video that we put on my Facebook page, he said it was over 100 churches have started. I remember when we sent our first team there, they hadn't even shared the gospel with anybody on that island yet. And he was told by one of the natives there now, there's not one person, not one Mahafali person there that hasn't had the opportunity to hear the gospel now. Whole island. That's from y'all. Anybody here who's given a dollar to this church, prayed a prayer, laid a cable, done anything, picked up trash in the parking lot, you're a part of that. God's done amazing work. Think about it, we saw Pastor Jason was a, came with me to plant the church, a shepherding pastor for years. Now he's pastoring a church up in Michigan. And we've indirectly got an influence in that church up there. Pastor Josh planted a church up there. You see all these folks and the business people? There's some folks, see my friend Kelly over here, her and her husband Josh own a gym. It's really a front for the gospel, just in case you didn't know. They're using it as a platform to lead all these people to Jesus. And you see people discover God's plan for their lives and start to walk in that. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I praise him. What he's done, keep doing that. Do more of that. Help the light go off for other people. Help other people see what your plan for their life is. Reconcile relationships. Reconcile people to you. Do more of that. Set people free. Let's <laughs> tell stories about people walking in freedom. It's for this reason, but we got to go further. We're going to run out of time today. That's just the first three words, by the way, of this verse, this passage. And then you get into what he prays. And here's where I want to challenge you. I don't know what you wrote down in your paper today. Will you consider revising it a little bit based on what Paul prays next? Because what Paul prays for is a deeper grasp, understanding, experience of God's love and power. Will you pray that for our church and for anybody that we come into contact with? They would have this deeper, because Paul's praying for something. No, he said all this stuff in chapter one and two. You don't ask for something you already have. They already know God's love. They've been reconciled to God. They've already seen his power. They've reconciled with each other. He's asking for more, a deeper level, not just more in quantity, more in quality, that you would love Christ more, that you'd understand the love that he has for you more at a deeper level. Look at what he prays. He says, I kneel before the Father from heaven. Everybody gets their name, verse 16. And according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This happens internally. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the power that you being rooted and established in love may have strength to comprehend. He talks about this love, this love that's so high and wide and deep and so deep it can pull you from the depths of hell. So high, lift you to heaven. Wide to all the nations. This, is an ama- this love you can't know, he says in verse 19, that surpasses knowledge. So what's he talking about? That you, would ex- you can experience it though. Your mind is too small to grasp how wide and deep and high and long is the love of Christ. But you can experience it. He's praying, I I pray you experience it more. I pray you experience it at a deeper level. I pray you experience the power. I pray you experience the love at a deeper level than you ever have before. That's my prayer for us as a church. To experience the power of seeing lives change. The power of seeing our own lives transformed. The love of Christ. As we grow in the love of Christ, see this is the point where it's like I should tell you, hey, go invite everybody because what's happening here is awesome. No, here's the deal. Just experience Christ and you'll naturally invite people. I know this, this room's packed right now. We have room usually in the first service for folks. There's a couple empty seats. You can invite your friends. If we need to, we'll, we'll start another service, okay? We can do that here. We couldn't do that at the theater. But what I want to see is transformation in your life. 
want to see deeper love and power in your lives. Paul says it up here in verse 16, that you'd be strengthened with power. That word for strengthen, it means the ability to overcome resistance. And let me tell you something. You step out by faith, you start walking with God, he starts doing a work in your life, Satan's going to be right there too. So I don't know if it's true tit for tat in every story, but it seems like every story that we have of someone's life being changed, there's another story of Satan trying to pick somebody off. I remember in the first service, I, when I asked people to raise their hands, when one of my friends was in here, it's in our small group, his name's Manny. Manny's a Muslim man, started coming to our church about two years ago, and he attended the fir- after he attended the first time, he and I met together, and I walked him through the book of Romans, and Romans talks about the gospel, that we've all sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We're separated from God because of our sin, and we all do it. So we're all in a lot of trouble, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And that while we were enemies of God, that Jesus came and he died for us. And then if we believe in our hearts that Jesus rose from the dead and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we'll all be saved. It's a promise in scripture. And I said to Manny, I said, do you want to be saved? He's like, whoa. Think about hearing someone raised from the dead the first time in your life. He's like, that's a lot of information. He's like, I'm not ready for that. Start to read the Bible. Keeps attending our church. A year and a half later, he sits in my office and says, I'm ready. I'm ready to trust Christ as my savior. We go through Romans again. He prays to receive Christ. I said, hey, you got to tell somebody. There's nobody left at the office except for our executive pastor, John Cullen. So I said, let's go down to John's office. And so we go down to John's office. I knock on the door. Hey, John, this is Manny. You got to meet Manny. Manny, tell John what you just did. Manny was ready to go. He stepped forward and he looked at me and goes, what do I say? (laughs) It was all brand new. And I said, tell him what you just prayed. Tell him what we just talked about. He said, hey, I just asked Jesus to be my savior. John comes and gives him a hug. We're celebrating. I'm like, that's why we planned the church. That's what we want to see. Lives transform. I go back to my office. Not kidding. Literally, I was like, I'm not getting any more work done today. Like, I'm, t- I'm just pumped. But then I look at my email real quick. I got an email from somebody who's telling me about another member of our church that's chosen sin over God, decided to walk away, and it's having a ripple effect on other people in our church. God's at work. Satan's at work, too. We talked about that a bunch in our, our series, Jesus is Stronger. There's a picture as you're leaving today. You can remember that series by I've got people writing on the chalkboard back there. It says, Jesus is stronger. Jesus gets the victory. But he tries to take out people in the process. So God's got a plan for your life, Ephesians 2.10. Satan's got a plan for you too. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy. He wants to tell you lies. He's the father of lies. He's the adversary, he's going to accuse you. He's going to tell you opposite things from what what is stated here about your identity. He's going to do all this stuff. And so we see that continually happening. And Paul's praying here for strength to overcome the resistance. It's coming against you. We see it. You know, Easter, I tell you about my friend, Bill, trust in Jesus and start coming to our church at Easter and other people, every service we had that day, people trusted Christ. The next day, my daughter gets taken out of my front yard. Not coincidence, by the way. Now, through the process, we learned that Jesus is stronger, that my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing he can't do. He gives us our daughter back without her being harmed. It was, it was amazing in that. Satan was at work. We talked to you, you, you guys, some of you know, we're about to break ground on our, our property. We own some property over on Glenwood Avenue. And then the state, the North Carolina DOT, Department of Transformation, Transportation tells us, stop spending money on this property. We're taking it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That is not what I said in my office. <laughs> but what's God doing in that? If everything were just easy, I remember uh, one professor I had in seminary. His name was Howard Hendricks. He told a church plant in Memphis, he said, if I had a million dollars, I'd give you a million dollars, but I wouldn't. Huh? Because you'd become soft. Everything would be easy. It can't just be easy. How's he going to grow us and strengthening us? He says, strengthen us. Why? Why does he want to strengthen us? Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
What does it mean for Jesus to dwell in our hearts? Well, he's not talking to people that, are, that they would become Christians. He's already said, then chapter one, chapter two, you were without hope and without God. You've been reconciled to God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You've been made alive in Christ. They're, they're believers already. What does he mean, dwell? If you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have the Spirit of Christ living in you. Romans chapter eight and verse nine. What he's talking about here is that Christ will become more and more at home in your lives. And so it's like, it's like this. I look out, I see my brother-in-law's here. He's, he does a ton of great work in renovating houses and doing stuff like that. If you buy a house that's a fixer-upper and the bathroom has to be redone and it's got a popcorn ceiling and you don't like the popcorn ceiling anymore and it's got mold remediation that needs to take place and you're going to redo the kitchen too, but you move into the house in the condition that it's in. You live in the house. There's just a lot of work that needs to be done. And that's what happens when Jesus comes into our lives. And he's doing a work and sometimes it's painful but it's a good work. And he even uses the difficulty that comes in the process of that work. And he wants to do a work in our church, in my life, in the elders' lives, in the small group leaders' lives, and everybody who attends a small group's life, and every person who walks into our door for 10 minutes' lives. But sometimes it's painful so that Christ can become more and more at home in your life. So as you pray to grasp his love, to grasp his power, he's going to renovate your house. He's going to clean out the library and how you think your appetites and your desires. He's going to change the kitchen. He's going to flush some stuff out that's garbage. But how does he do it? Look at the last part of verse 17, or the part right after that in verse 17. Through faith. It's going to require faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. You don't just have faith when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And we don't just have faith when we start this church. You're going to, faith all, you're going to continually be walking by faith. Here's the scary thing about faith. It always seems like risk from our perspective. Faith always seems like risk to us. And so when my wife and I moved here, we didn't know what 10 years from now was going to hold. The Lord knew that. We didn't know if anybody was going to show up. Seemed like risk to us. We bought a house. We didn't have a job. <laughs> that seems like a risk. We didn't know what was going to happen. I remember, as far as thinking about the church finances too, I remember when we first were gathering together, I was telling, we were telling our small group the other night, the first gathering we had was at that country club, and there was a, a, a person that was in our group of 40 that was a member there, and so they waived the room fee, but they made us buy a lot of breakfast food, which was great to eat. But we didn't know if we had enough money. So that's where the boxes come from. When you see those black boxes in the back, that's why we don't pass a plate. We just kind of stuck a box in the back and prayed that God would give us enough money. We had $4 left over after we bought all the eggs you could imagine. They got good bacon too, by the way, there. But it was a risk. It seems like a risk. I remember getting in an argument with, the, it was one of the business guys in our, in our core group when we were first starting the church because we were going to empty the, the account to buy a mailer for 5,000 people in our community. That's not a ton for a mailer. And the mailers, don't, they don't usually return a lot of people on coming to church. And he said, no, you should not spend the money on this. We're going to hold it. We're going to build up some savings account. And I was like, listen, we didn't know if we were going to make it even. I said, if a new church was starting in my mom's neighborhood, my mom didn't know Jesus, I hope they'd do whatever they could to invite her to church. So we sent on a mailer. I told that to the first service. A lady came up to me after the service. She goes, I came to church because of a mailer. <laughs> so boom, marketing people. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But it was a risk to us at the time. Now we've grown and it's, you, know, it seemed, you can just come here and sit here. At the time it was like everybody has to serve. But are you taking a risk? Are you walking in a way with Jesus Christ that seems like a risk for you? Some people it's a risk. It was a risk when you saw that shoe video. For some people, people were crying the day that we did. We had people leave our church over that. People were upset that we did that. In fact, a, a funny part to me, anecdotal, that you see when you're kind of everything, you see all the behind the scenes stuff. We had three single shoes that were given that day. I was like, I'm halfway in. I can't do both shoes. Give them one shoe. 
so. But when you go all in, when you go all in for Jesus, that means walking by faith. We've had people throughout the history of our church. It's not just the church as a whole, individuals. We've done campaigns to buy that property. And so we had one couple, they had only attended our church a few times. They weren't even members. They gave the biggest gift our church has ever received up until that point. One-time gift. We had one couple, that, a young couple, emptied their savings account to give towards our, our capital campaign. That, can you imagine the conversations in their home at that point? Because they believed in what was happening here at this church. Some of you, what is it? Some of you, some people have stepped out by faith to lead a small group, and they didn't know what was going to happen, and weren't used to having people into their home, not sure where the conversations were going to go. Seemed like a risk. What about the people that confess sin and repent of sin? What about you? God's going to call us to risk in the future, and it might even fail. We've failed at times. I remember when we launched one campaign, we decided we were going to add a whole bunch of other stuff into it, and some of it was my impatience, and so I failed as a leader. But God teaches us through that. God uses that too to show us his love. To build, to build patience, which is a fruit of the Spirit. So what's he doing right now? Are we waiting on the NCDOT right now? I don't think so. The Lord can do whatever he wants. He owns a cattle on a thousand hill. We're waiting on him. So what do you want to do, God? And when you do it, I hope it's so clear that it's you and not some smart strategic thinker we've got behind the scenes or some team of people, but God, that you intervened and you did something. Amen? What does he want to do through you? And what steps of faith are you going to take? Maybe he wants you to start a small group. Maybe he wants you to confess sin. Maybe he wants you to do some step that you have never done in the past. Maybe it has to do with your work or coworkers or family members. But he can do it. And through it, he'll teach you his power and his love. And he's able. Because he might lay something on your heart right now. Or maybe you wrote down at the beginning of the service something that you think that's impossible. But don't forget verses 20 and 21. Still the most significant truth that I've learned up until this point. A lot of stuff has happened in the last 10 years. A lot of people have been baptized. A lot of service hours. A lot of lives have been changed. A lot of new faces faces have come. Faces have gone. Some people have been picked off by Satan. And our prayer for them is they would still come back. Some of you see an empty seat around you. And you think about some of the people that were here. And you know they're not living for the Lord now. We still have hope because they're still alive. And so we pray because God is able, verse 20. Now to him who's able to do far abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And our dream is the same. It's Acts 2. That we want to be people that are willing to take off their masks and have it be okay that you're not okay. But that we're grounded in the truth. And so we point each other to the truth which gives us answers when there seem to be no answers, which points us in the direction of trusting him, walking by faith with him, praying together, sharing in our homes with one another, being the church. And then what ends up happening is people come, not because we just do mailers or we do this other stuff, but they come because it's like, come to, come to this place where my life's being transformed. God's done a work. He's brought together these special people. He's doing this unique thing because here's the reality. Now to him who's able, my God is so big, to do immeasurably more, so strong and so mighty, there is nothing my God cannot do. According to his power, which is what raised Jesus from the dead, Easter's in a couple weeks, I hope you're excited. But the power's at work in you. So the, the way that it really goes is like this in the song. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do in you. It's not just some wish, you know, write down what you wish would happen. Move this mountain, multiply this food. Do these, no. He can do that, but he wants to do it in you 
So the question as we move forward is what work does he want to do in you? What steps of take does he want you to take? Are you willing to risk? Who are the people that are without hope and without God that he now wants to reconcile to himself? What relationships does he want to reconcile with other people? What, who, who is it that he wants to bring into part of this church, this unique identity that we have together? And how does he want to show you his love and his power in a deeper way than you've ever experienced before? Because life change isn't just trusting Jesus. He continues to do a work in us. And he will be faithful to do that work, and he wants to do it in you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are not done with us. You've given us a great 10 years, and we praise you for it. We give you glory for it. It's for this reason that we celebrate what you've done. But we pray to you, and we ask you to do more. Do more of the same, and do stuff you haven't even done yet. Call us the steps of faith that we haven't taken yet. For some of us, that'll be relational. And for some of us, it'll be with sin. And for some of us, it's going to be financial. And for some of us, it's going to be with our careers. And God, will you do beyond what we could ask, beyond what we could imagine in the struggles and the difficulties, strengthen us to resist the enemy's attacks. Have your son Jesus dwell in our hearts more and more. Make us look like your son Jesus more and more. Help us to see other people the way your son Jesus sees people more and more like sheep without a shepherd. Give us your words. Give us your wisdom. Show us your power. Give us your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your, your power, and transform us. Renew our minds. Renew our lives. I pray in 10 years from now that we would look very different because we look more and more like your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.